Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is on the back bar. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On The Back Bar Podcast. Today we have Tim joining us uh, from the States. Really pleasure to have you here, man. And welcome to season three of the podcast as well. Um, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and I'm looking forward to visiting with you today. Yeah, it's going to be a really great chat. We've talked before and I've had a really good look at your your sort of business model, which is very unique. And um, I'm, I'm happy to have you sort of join us one of the first few episodes of season three. We're back now with the show. Uh, so it should be really exciting to kick it all off. Um, Tim, tell me, how's it going over where you are in the States? How's life these days? Uh, well, you know, uh, I think Mr. Dickens had it uh, said it best. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. So uh, I think like um, other parts of the world, sort of been uh, one or two steps forward and one or two steps back, uh, which has been really challenging, I think, for lots of business industries, but certainly those of us in the hospitality industry. Uh, and I, I think what a lot of us have come to realize is that uh, 2021 is starting to feel distinctly like 2020. Uh, and that I think there's a little bit of a kind of an opening and closing going on, you know, based on uh, COVID-19 uh, and, and the Delta variant and its spread. Yeah. Yeah, I do agree. It's been, um, it's been pretty tough. 2021 has definitely been um, not the year we anticipated. <laughs> we, we came into it sort of bright eyed, hoping it was going to be better and not so much from my side of the world anyway. No, totally. And I, and I think, you know, what that uh, with great challenge comes uh, great opportunity for the bold, right? And I think what that has, as an entrepreneur and as a business leader and as a citizen of my own local community, it's like, okay, so what am I going to do with it? Uh, and, and Chris, as you know, uh, I have three small children. And so I'll look at each of the three of them and I'll say, what do whiners get? And they go, nothing, daddy. Nutten. <laughs> that that is spelled N-U-T-T-I-N. Nutten. And that's right. sort of how we viewed it, which was okay. This is the reality that we're uh, having to coexist with today. So instead of whining about it, like what are we going to do about it? How are we going to continue uh, to be of service uh, to our customers? How are we going to continue to be of service to our employees? How are we going to continue, you know, to uh, grow the business and, and coexist with this thing. And I think that's, while it's super difficult um, and I'd love to get in a time machine and go back as I'm sure everyone on the planet would, uh, that's not a thing. So here we are uh, and we find a way to move forward. Totally agree. And I think that really sets the theme of the show, the episode going ahead, because you, yeah, you, you definitely sort of powered through with your business and, uh, you know, you supported your employees quite, quite a lot. Uh, and managed to to still go ahead. So I think that's going to be really great to hear about all this. Um, and of course, today we're here to talk about uh, sourced craft cocktails. Um, it's a little bit more than just a cocktail delivery service, which I learned about recently. And I was sort of um, so impressed by the business model and the different elements of it. But Tim, for the audience, would you mind sort of jumping into the origin story of how the business started? Absolutely. Um, Sourcecraftcocktails.com. That's where you can find us. And, you know, for your listeners in the U.S., uh, this parts of this they will be aware of for your listeners outside of the U.S. Um, this is going to be a story about uh, both American history uh, and how it impacts the alcohol industry. Uh, so, Chris, how familiar are you with what's referred to as the three tiered system of alcohol distribution? I mean, I'm not totally clued up. However, I've had a few guests on the show uh, who have mentioned it before. Here's how it works. Yeah, here's here's how it works. So um, we like to level set first with 
The alcohol industry in the United States is 254 billion US dollars big on an annualized basis. So, um, you know, to put your Harvard MBA hat on for a second, right? That's a big addressable market. Uh, and my favorite part, it is quite literally recession proof. And I don't mean that to be flippant. I mean that very literally, as my nine-year-old son would say, that's a math fact. Uh, there have been 14 economic declines in the United States of America in the last 100 years. And in every single one of them, the amount of alcohol that gets enjoyed in a bad economy actually grows faster than in a good economy. So the consumer is quote unquote numbing the pain, if you will. Uh, so world war, no problem. Alcohol went up. Uh, oil and gas crisis with Iran, no problem. Alcohol went up. Great recession, nope, went up. How about a pandemic, right? It closed a huge section of the alcohol industry, the entire on-premise, the entire bar and restaurant community closed by order of government. Clearly it couldn't have grown then. Nope, not only did it grow, Chris, but it grew by 14%. U.S. consumers drank 14% more ounces of alcohol in 2020 than 2019. So in the worst economic year of an entire generation, not only did it grow, it grew by double digits. And that's what makes the U.S. market so attractive to the hospitality industry is it's a huge addressable market. And no matter what happens, it's going to chug right along. In fact, when bad things happen, it'll actually grow faster. When you take that like wow, this is exciting. How do I get into the US market? And you juxtapose it against the regulatory environment, which is known as the three-tiered system, which is quite literally what sourced was built to modernize. So here, Chris, is, you know, and you've probably heard this phrase, right? When you think about the three-tiered system, you have to understand the history of America itself. America was built to be, have you ever heard uh, Chris, the phrase, the beacon on the hill. Absolutely. That was our North Star as a country here in the United States of America, right? They, we quite literally wanted to be the beacon. We wanted to be the example for the world. And when we talked about the example for the world, in a large part, uh, from a society standpoint, they meant that morally, meaning the morals of the society. And there was a time period, so not only does America have a moral compass, it thought pretty highly of it because it was the beacon, not a beacon, the beacon. And there was a time period in this country's history where we, the beacon, as an American society, thought that the alcohol industry and the, its effect on human beings was sinful. And so we made the entire industry illegal and it was known as prohibition. And Chris, it wasn't just like a, ooh, we've had a lot of fun the last couple of months. We'll just kind of lay off the sauce for 30 days. Nope. Prohibition went on for 14 years. And the reality is the United States government never intended for the alcohol industry to be legal again. They made the alcohol industry legal again and established the three-tiered system of alcohol distribution, the regulatory environment that still governs in 2021 and will govern for the next nearly 90 years, uh, which is the reason that they have made it legal again in 1933 wasn't that the country's moral compass changed. What changed was our economic reality. So if you think about 1930s in the United States of America, it's known as the Great Depression. It's quite literally the worst economic years of an almost 300 year history. And what happened in 1932 was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president of the country at the time, um, had announced to the TikTok of his day, the radio, to the whole world that the way out of the Great Depression for America was that he was going to put 50 million Americans back to work with the federal government as the employer itself, building bridges, roads, and tunnels. It's what became known as the New Deal. Great plan. History would show right plan, right leader, right time. There was one big problem though, Chris. The US government didn't have the money to run payroll. And as entrepreneurs, as we know, 
payroll runs every two weeks. All right. And the payroll company, when running payroll, doesn't take an IOU note. <laughs> right? You can't write like an IOU ADP, right? A big payroll company in the US. Run my payroll and I'll pay you later, right? That's what a treasury note is, right? A T-bill that the government issues is basically a federally backed IOU note. Like, no, payroll can't be successfully accomplished that way. And so the US government in the 1932 went, oh my God, we've got to figure out a way to raise taxes. And there are three big tax bases in this country of the United States. Uh, number one is payroll tax, right? So we charge companies for running their payroll and tax that actual payroll to the government. Well, that didn't work because Ford Motor Company wasn't employing anybody at that time, which is why the government needed the new deal to put people back to work itself. So payroll tax, not so good. Sales tax, right? We tax in the United States the sale, when a consumer buys a loaf of bread, we put a tax on that. Well, that's no good. There were 50 million people on a bread line because they couldn't afford to buy the loaf of bread themselves because there were no jobs. So that doesn't work. So how about property tax? That's the last really big tax base in the United States, which is they tax your ownership of the actual property. Well, land value in 1933 was one third of what it had been a decade earlier during the roaring 20s of 1923. So for every US dollar the federal government collected in property tax in 1933, they were getting 33 cents on the dollar. So we're losing two thirds of the value. The government went, oh my God, like there's nothing to tax. And they went, well, we're gonna have to get creative about this. What products are we not taxing today that we could devise a plan, not only to tax, but to tax as many times as possible. And they went right, the alcohol industry, right? Because in the 14 years that prohibition, the time period where all alcohol, the distillation, the distribution, the sale and the consumption of alcohol, completely illegal, right? They knew that it was still happening because speakeasies, which Chris, you and I know, as a marketing idea now, it really was in the 1920s, a door with no name on it. Why? Because it was illegal to own the door, it was illegal to operate the door, and it was illegal to be inside the door. So that's why they didn't advertise it is because they didn't want you to know that what was going on behind that door. And the government knew that that was happening. And so they said, okay, well, we're gonna bring the alcohol industry back, but what we need is we need a way, Chris, to tax it as many times as possible. And what they invented was the three-tiered system. So you're ready to learn how it works. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Tier one is the supplier, right? It's the brand, Don Julio, Bullet Bourbon, Tito's, et cetera, right? Legally, they're able to make the juice, as we lovingly refer to it, the alcohol, and they're able to market it. But in the United States market, they can never sell it directly to the consumer. Because if the government allowed it to be sold directly to the consumer, there would be only one thing to tax, right? There would only be one transaction. So they must sell it legally to tier two, the distributor, right? In America, that's a truck that sits in front of a nightclub or a restaurant or a liquor store, right? It usually has George Clooney and Caso Amigos on the side of it. Uh, and they're the only entity that's legally able to pick the alcohol up at the importer or at the distillery and drive it to tier three, right? There are three kinds of doorknobs in the United States of America. And when I say doorknob, Chris, I want you to literally think about the doorknob in the room you're sitting in right now, right? Doorknob number one is called on-premise. It's a bar or a restaurant or a hotel. The distributor can bring the bottle of alcohol uh, to the physical doorknob and the operator of that establishment is able to sell them a Tito's and soda to consume on the premises inside the four walls. Doorknob number two is called off-premise. It's a liquor store. Some states in the, in the US, it can be a grocery store, right? They're able to sell you the bottle of Tito's inside of their four walls, but you cannot drink it in the establishment, right? You must drink it off the premises. What we lovingly refer to is we don't care where you go, but you cannot stay here, right? Which brings us to what source salts, doorknob number three, which is what we call the non-premise, meaning it's a doorknob that is not a bar or liquor store. Legally, the distributor 
the only entity that can pick the bottle of Tito's up at the distillery and remove it from the grounds of the distillery cannot deliver to a non-premise, a door that is unlicensed, a door that is not a bar or a liquor store, right? And that's what Source solves. And before we get into kind of how we became the largest craft cocktail delivery business in the country, let's close off the tax conversation, which is really why the three-tiered system has not changed in 88 years in this country, nearly 89, and will not moving forward. Here's how the government collects taxes. So for every individual bottle of Tito's Handmade Vodka, the largest brand in the United States, right? The, 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 the supplier, right? Tito's pays a government agency called the TTB, a tax on the label. So that one bottle, Chris, has been taxed one time. When Tito sells it to the distributor, the only entity, the only truck that can pick up the bottle and drive it to the liquor store or the bar, right? The distributor is paying a tax for buying it from the distillery. So the same bottle's now been taxed twice. When the distributor delivers it to the bar, they pay the excise tax. Same bottle has now been taxed three times. For every single liter, of Tito's handmade vodka, there's the equivalent of 16 vodka sodas inside the bottle. The US consumer pays a sales tax, right? Could be anywhere from 11% to 7%, depending on the state itself. The US consumer pays a sales tax on every single vodka soda. So 16 times the government collects tax on the same bottle from the consumer. So when you add it up, Chris, the three-tiered system of alcohol distribution, which was established by the 21st Amendment of the United States Constitution in 1933, allows the U.S. government to collect taxes 19 times on the same bottle, which is why the three-tiered system exists. It's why it hasn't innovated, and it's what source was built to solve for, which is you have a 21st century consumer who has a remote control to life in his or her pocket is called an iPhone or an Android device. And what we built was the legal distribution to the non-premise, a doorknob that is not a bar or a liquor store. And we did it in full compliance while allowing the government to still collect taxes 19 times on the same bottle. Wow. I mean, that's a lot to take in. And um, thank you for that history lesson as well, because I think a lot of people maybe just didn't realize a lot of that stuff. 19 times is a lot, huh? The government did well in that, in that uh, sort of change and decision to bring alcohol back. But that's, that's always my viewpoint is, well, while it, it might uh, not be modern, it is, from the government's perspective, brilliant, right? Because uh, mm -hmm. it did exactly what the government needed it to do then. Uh, and oftentimes when I have friends or neighbors who will say, oh, they'll get on their moral high horse and say, oh, you're in the alcohol industry. I'm like, yeah, and how is your kid's school? <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? Because we're paying a lot of taxes over here in the alcohol industry. <laughs> exactly. So, Tim, you, you mentioned you're the largest craft cocktail delivery in the States. That's such an impressive uh, thing to achieve. But I'm interested. Um, so we're going back to the model, the free tier system, and you said you're in full compliance where you don't have to have the hypothetical doorknob, right? How did you manage that? Where, you know, where did you come up with the idea? And was there a lot of sort of legislation and a lot of like studying law to try and figure this out? Oh, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it only took six months and a couple million U.S. dollars of my own money. So yes, there was a lot. Of, oh blimey! <laughs> there was a lot of legal studying going on. Fortunately for right. me, um, my you know my job as founder CEO, as we continue to scale and grow, is to um, hire people that are smarter than myself. Luckily, the bar is pretty low, <laughs> so there's a lot of qualified. That's a good. Um, that's a good ethos. So yeah, a lot of qualified candidates, Chris. Um, so I'll tell you kind of how I came up with the idea and then we'll get into kind of how we solve for the problem. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with three kids. I have two uh, older boys and then my daughter, uh, who's just about to turn seven. Uh, and I actually built source based on my own 
experience with the U.S. alcohol industry um, when I was introducing my daughter um, to my friends and family. Um, so I, I'm, my daughter has me completely wrapped around her finger. Uh, she recently asked me, I said, where do you want daddy to take you? She said, shopping in Paris. And so we got on the overnight flight from the U.S. to Paris and literally went shopping for three days, just to let you know how badly I'm afflicted with her. <laughs> I mean, she, she's the most, right? Totally, in the, in the way that I'm super blessed and happy to have. Um, and so it was a really important day for my family, right? I was introducing my only daughter to my friends and family. Uh, she was about three months old at the time. It happened to be my, wor- my wife's birthday. And in the U.S., there's a big... American football game known as the Super Bowl uh, and the championship of the two best teams of that season. And that that's a really big alcohol consumption day uh, and gathering day in the U.S. Uh, and this is 2015. And so we were celebrating a lot of things. We had a fo- American football game. We had my wife's birthday and we had my daughter's uh, kind of coming out party, welcoming her to the family and friends. Uh, and so I wanted to make Margaritas. Sourced is headquartered in Austin, Texas, which is a really great town. Here in Austin, uh, people drink margaritas like water. That is the sort of cocktail of choice. Uh, And so I wanted them to be made proper because there's a really important time period. Uh, And so I wanted to make margaritas from scratch. And it took me four different stores to buy all of the ingredients. It took me six hours where I was like hand squeezing the limes to get fresh lime juice. Uh, And then I actually ended up having to be the bartender at my own party. And so the next day, the Monday after Super Bowl Sunday, uh, my co-founder called and said, oh, well, you know, how was Allison, my wife's birthday? Uh, Because she knows who the real boss is. (laughs) Uh, And she said, how's Allison's birthday? And I said, it was terrible. She goes, why? And I just told her the story that I've shared with you and your viewers uh, and listeners, which is, my God, it took me four stores and six hours, and I had to bartend my own party, so I couldn't even enjoy myself, uh, and she goes, oh, well, that, that sounds like it wasn't much fun. I said, yeah, somebody should have sourced that from their phone, from my phone to my front door. Like, I would have paid not to have to go to the four stores. I would have paid not to have to do the six hours. I would have paid not to have to bartend inside my own party, so I could have enjoyed my own family and friends, And there was this long pause and she was like, oh my God, you're not going to. And I was like, oh my God, I am, I am going to. (laughs) And, uh, you know, six months, a couple million dollars of legal fees later, we launched October 1st, 2015. And so the way that we did it, um, I'm often asked like, hey, how did you quote unquote get around the three-tiered system? And the answer is we we did not get around at all. Um, we, We sat down with the regulators state by state, county by county, city by city at a federal level and said, okay, here's how the law works. In the U.S. it's referred to as code, uh, which which means the actual written law. Um, And here's how we think it's in compliance. uh, And here's what allows us to partner with the off-premise liquor stores. uh, And it allows us to be what's referred to as a third party provider just like in the US, there's a company called Drizzly uh, that will deliver a bottle uh, or Reserve Bar that will deliver a bottle or Saucy that will deliver a bottle or Mini Bar. Um, For your UK uh, listeners, we'll know Mini Bar, which delivers a bottle. And what makes Source different, uh, and Chris, I'm always really careful to point out, different doesn't mean better or worse. It just simply means different. What makes Source different is our viewpoint, again, based on what we were solving for, right? We were solving for an occasion of gathering. We were solving convenience, right? I didn't want to go to the four stores. I didn't want to invest six hours. I didn't want to be a bartender in my own house for three hours because I wanted to actually be a guest of my own uh, gathering. But we were solving for a gathering and an occasion, Uh, We weren't only solving for Friday night and I want a bottle right now. And so the other major e-com alcohol platforms will only deliver a bottle where what Source does is we deliver legally the bottle and all the other components, the barware, the glassware, the mixers, the recipe, right? So that you can actually have a fully curated cocktail experience. Brilliant. I mean, 
I think something that stands out for me with that is that you took a pretty big leap of faith um, with that large investment into a business that you, you know, maybe you didn't know was going to work out so well. What do you, what gave you that sort of, um, that push or that drive to take that leap of faith? And what do you recommend to other entrepreneurs who maybe have a business idea, but are just a bit too, um, maybe scared to, to jump? What, what do you say mm. to them? That's such a good question, Chris. Um, I think number one, the, the media often acknowledges, you got to remember the odds, Chris, right? And I hate this, but it is an actual fact. 95% of entrepreneurs fail. Only 5% of us yeah. actually make it. Um, and, and I think the, because the, the media focuses so heavily on the 5%, I, I think the, you know, the Elon Musks of the world, which, which is great. It's great to acknowledge the success of other entrepreneurs. But I think the first thing I would say, Chris, is you have to go ahead and, and make sure you understand the odds that you're playing with, right? And the odds are heavily stacked against you, 95% fail. So it's okay to acknowledge that this is scary, right? That jumping off this cliff, not knowing when you jump, is it a parachute on your back or a monkey, right? Is absolutely okay. And it, and it, and it should be scary. The way we describe it is it's 98% exciting and it's 2% absolutely terrifying. Um, and so, the, the first thing I would um, sort of suggest is understanding the risk that you're taking and how long those odds are, are, are the first thing to sort of accept and understanding that it's okay to be scared because all of us are, is also a really, really healthy thing to do. Number two is before you jump, right? Make sure you've gone through a very thorough, what we refer to as business discovery phase. So I didn't just spend $3 million of my own money on legal fees willy nilly, right? I didn't just go start writing checks everywhere. Um, I had actually worked in each of the three tiers of the alcohol industry prior. So I knew a lot about the regulatory environment. So I was working in an industry that I had a pretty good personal handle on. Um, Number one. Number two, I did not, I've never worked behind the bar. So I've never been a mixologist. I was never trained as a bartender. So I went out and I found Brian Floyd. Um, your listeners probably um, may know him as Floyd. He helped Catherine uh, establish WeatherUp, uh, which is a great craft cocktail brand based out of New York City. And he uh, moved to open um, WeatherUp's location, original location in Austin. And so I went and I found others that became my co-founders who had ex deep experience in parts of uh, the business that was going to be important to source that I didn't. So Floyd was really the classically trained mixologist uh, that knew um, the way we think about it is we make cocktails um, convenient and approachable for the 99% of the world, not the 1%. And what we mean by that is we're making cocktails that are palate friendly for the vast majority of Americans. We're not making cocktails just for the 1% of us who are in the alcohol industry. There's nothing wrong with that, to be clear, Chris. It's just not our kind of business. So we only make cocktails based on four styles. Um, we're not making things on the obscure ends of the taste profile, right? Super, super bitter. Um, nothing wrong with that. That might be how you and I like to drink. That's just not how 99% of Americans like to drink, right? Their palate isn't that refined. Um, and so I went and found people who had experience in other parts of the business and were equally experts as I was in the compliance side so that I felt comfortable that we had the core elements of the business sort of covered. And then the last thing I would suggest, Chris, which is probably the most important, right? So understand your odds and be able to accept that you're taking the risk and that it is scary and that's okay. Find and recruit other co-founders that have expertise in other parts of the business that have other skill sets than yourself, right? Don't go find the young lady or the gentleman who have your exact same background, 
right? Find people that, that have the furthest thing away from your background, but you respect and, and can acknowledge their expertise and allow them to contribute into your journey um, and own those swim lanes. And then the last thing, which I think honestly, Chris, is the most important, particularly right now, uh, which is be able to define the business's North Star, right? The one reason the business exists from day one and, and be able to communicate it every single minute of every single day over and over and over again. So we're six years into our journey now in a way that I'm super blessed and grateful for, right? We're, we're, we're part of the 5% uh, that, are, that are still here and we're still swinging and we're still growing and we grow by triple digits. We grow over 100% every year, year over year, which is just a, a, a very humbling uh, and very incredible thing to have happen. And part of that reason is we know what the North Star is. We know why this company exists. Our company exists. Our North Star is to be of service. We're to be of service to that consumer who is gathering virtually or in person, her friends, family, business colleagues, employees, and we're trying to allow her to have a craft cocktail experience that levels up to the significance of the rest of why she gathered people, right? Is she introducing her daughter to her family and friends? Is she celebrating a promotion of someone that's important to her team? Is she celebrating her company's launch? Is she selling her company's exit, right? What is it that she's celebrating, right? And how are we best to be of service? And we orient the entire company, our new products, our marketing, our hiring and firing. We orient everything around this idea of how best to be of service. And those would be the three things I would suggest if you have a business idea, understand the risk that you're taking. It is immense and it is scary and that's okay. Find and recruit others that can contribute to the business in ways that you personally can't and then let them. And lastly, understand what your North Star is. Be able to put it down on a piece of paper. It needs to be really simple. Be of service, that's sourced, right? And communicate it over and over and over and over and over again. And as the founder, never ever break your North Star because if you break the North Star, everyone else, I mean, we have thousands of people, people that work for Sourcecraft Cocktails now. If I break our North Star, everyone's gonna think our North Star is bullshit. And they're gonna be right, right? If I'm breaking our own North Star, like I have to live up to it and I have to expect and hold accountable everyone else to do so as well. So those would be my three recommendations. If you have an idea and you're thinking about jumping off the cliff, think through those pieces and then do it with every ounce of enthusiasm and passion you can possibly muster. Fantastic advice. Thank you, Tim. So yes, for the listeners, find your North Star. Tim, I'd really like to talk about some of the products you offer on a website now. And um like it's so amazing man like i'm looking at some of these cocktails too um one thing that stands out for me is they're they're pretty affordable right and you know you've not just got the sort of cocktails you've also got the tap cocktails which um i think you call it a growler right correct yeah so part of what we wanted to do is i mentioned chris we we wanted so there was a movement in america where craft cocktails had become um, sort of put on a pedestal, right? Very precious. Uh, and, and that's part of what, in our opinion, um, had sort of prohibited their growth, right? They, had, they weren't very approachable, right? And America, you got to remember, 40% of Americans choose vodka first, precisely because it's a neutral grain spirit, it's odorless and tasteless, which the mixology world in America had viewed as um, that made it uninteresting. And, and it had made for a very kind of awkward experience where the American consumer wanted it at a bar, but the people behind the bar didn't want to serve it. Uh, and, and that sort of attitude, that lack of approachability um, made it difficult for a U.S. consumer um, to really be comfortable, right? They, they, would, they would sort of settle for a beer 
or a glass of wine. There's nothing wrong with a beer or a glass of wine, right? But but the us and the industry itself were making it difficult um, historically. And so part of what we wanted to do was really democratize cocktails, right? We wanted to democratize cocktails by a, allowing them to be available to purchase from your phone to your front door, right? Like that was the first piece is just making them accessible to anybody uh, with a phone. We didn't build an app because we wanted it to be a mobile website so that it didn't matter where you were or what kind of device you were on, you could order. Part of it was the taste profile, right? Making cocktails that weren't on the super polar ends of the taste profile perspective so that somebody ordered something and it completely turned them off and drove them back to like, fine, I'll just settle for a domestic beer because I just don't know if I could ever drink those fancy cocktails. And part of what made them approachable, Chris, was, was making them um, affordable, right? So they, on average, depending on the US city uh, that we distribute in, and we now distribute into eight, soon to be 10, the major US cities, New York, Miami, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, et cetera, um, was that it's half the cost of going out to the bar. Um, and and, and we've, we've done that very intentionally so that we can make sure that people are able to afford uh, enjoying them. Um, our purpose isn't to replace the bar. Our purpose is to source the knowledge of what you're drinking so that when you do go back out to the bar, when it's safe to go back out to the bar, you are more educated on cocktails. And I always use Mezcal as the example, right? Mezcal um, is, is a rapidly growing, agave in general is rapidly growing in the US. Uh, Mezcal is the super cool cousin of tequila right now. Uh, it's kind of what the cool kids quote unquote drink in the US today. And what we're trying to do is teach people about the distillation process and how you smoke the pina like a brisket, which is what gives it its most smoky taste profile. So that when you're back out in a bar account, right, and you see mezcal on the menu, you know that it's gonna be smoky in taste, right? So that first sip, you don't go, wow, it tastes like a campfire, right? And the bartender's looking at you like, of course it does. <laughs> That's the whole purpose. Right. Uh, we're trying to source the knowledge as well as the cocktail conveniently from mm. your phone. I mean, yeah, I, I just want to like read out one of the, the cocktails on the website. So this is the Kettle One Hibiscus Mule. Um, what comes in this package? It's amazing. So you get a bottle of Kettle One Vodka, um, homemade hibiscus syrup, fresh squeezed lime juice, four bottles of Fever Tree ginger beer, a jigger, a menu of instructions and high quality source branded reusable cups. And that's all for $36. From your phone to your front door, the same day you order it. It's brilliant, <laughs> man. I mean, I can see there's, especially with the lockdown we've all had, uh, this sort of thing is probably what people are looking for. They miss their bars. They want to have a cocktail. And you kind of just put everything in one package for a really affordable price. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I'm most excited about is in addition to being of service to the consumer, right? We, we put all of those things available from your phone to your front door. If you order by 1 p.m., it'll be there between four and eight that evening. Uh, and we made it at the highest possible quality, right? To real imported hibiscus flowers that are dried that we've, we infuse into a simple syrup that we then fresh squeeze lime juice, blend together at the proper proportion already with the dilution, right? Because the consumer doesn't necessarily know how to use a shaker tin. It doesn't mean they're not smart, by the way, Chris. They're a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a, you know, a software developer. They're very, very bright. They're just not trained in what you and I are. Right. Um, and so we actually handle the dilution inside of the fresh mix itself. Um, and part of what I'm excited about is we've also been able to be of service to the hospitality industry itself by only employing out of work bartenders to both make the mixes in our commercial kitchens, as well as being the drivers. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to move on to this next. I think what you've done to, to support bartenders has been absolutely amazing over the last year. 
they are the face of our brand, right? At, at the end of the day, you know, we served millions and millions of consumers in 2020. We distributed almost 50 million cocktails, wow. which is great. That is. 50 million, right? Um, and not one of those consumers ever met me or Joe Michaels, our chief financial officer, or Joe Brook, our VP of sales and marketing, or James Wright, our VP of operations, or Shannon March, our chief of staff. No, none of those consumers ever met us at the front door, right? Um, if they had to meet us at the front door, we would never be able to scale past 50,000 cocktails maybe, right? We'd, we'd knock several zeros off of how many people we could be of service to. Uh, because it would only be us that were able to drive it to the door, right? So at the end of the day, the hospitality industry and the people that have dedicated their lives, that's what people like about the hospitality industry. Those of us that choose this path, we choose this path because we get enjoyment by being of service to someone else, right? That's, that's what I love about the hospitality industry is I have fun helping you have fun. That's my job. And I love that about it. I've always loved that about it. It's why I've chosen to dedicate my career to this industry. But the reality is, Chris, is that we have to be able to pay those people a livable wage, right? We have to be able to give those people a career track. We have to be able to provide those people a business model and the right physical gear to be safe in this industry, right? From a health perspective now, something none of us thought about before January of 2020, right? And that's part of what Sourced has always been of service. It's one of the most important contributions that Brian Floyd made as one of the co-founders of Source. And again, he's a very famous mixologist in the US market uh, and was really responsible for the taste profile of Sourced. And he was responsible for, we've always paid Twenty-five dollars, twenty-five U.S. dollars per hour of work for the last six years. Where in the U.S., because it's a tip-based uh, compensation package, right? The federal government, in the United States of America, allows restaurant owners to pay bartenders two dollars and thirteen cents an hour. So we've paid more than ten x what the general market has. The entirety of source journey, six plus years. And the reason we've paid 10X is that we didn't think that $2.13 was livable wage. And we didn't think it was fair compensation for time and talent. And I think part of what I'm most excited about is when you think about those tens of millions of cocktails delivered, we paid out over $2 million directly on an everyday basis. So if you are a bartender and you drive cocktail kits for source today, Chris, you get paid that wage, $25 an hour, plus any gratuity that the consumer left, plus a transportation reimbursement. Meaning if you're in New York City and take the subway, we pay for your subway ride. If you're in Los Angeles and you drive cocktail kits from point A to point B, we pay for your gasoline. We pay those three components of your wage the next day, right? Because the hospitality industry has been so up and down here, right? Need to hire a bunch of people because the economy's open. Need to fire a bunch of people because the economy closes again. It's so back and forth yo-yoing uh, that people need the money and they need the money immediately for the wage that they've worked. And so that's, I think, one of the things I'm most pleased about. And the reason that we do it is because they do have time and talent and it's a great business decision on my end because they're the face of my brand. Again, without them, we deliver 50,000 cocktails, not 50 million. Absolutely. Look after your employees first, and you're clearly doing that. Um, no, I think it's great, Tim, the fact you've looked after these bartenders so well with, um, like you said, a livable age. And, and they're still doing what they love with good quality ingredients. It's not, um, it's not what's the word for it? Um, declassifying their job or any way and they're not losing any of their skills not de-skilling that's it um yeah no i think it's really really great and clearly the consumers love it ha uh, having been so popular as well um and also the other part of your business which i know the bartenders are involved in 
is the virtual classes, right? And I know you have some pretty big clients who are part of that or customers, should I say? Yeah, absolutely. So um, 50% of our business is the consumer, right? Your iPhone to your front door that same day, a hibiscus mule with grape vodka from Kettle One, right? The other half of our business is what we refer to as enterprise. Um, and we are of service to over 18,000 office managers across the country, helping them create company culture. So Apple, Google, Facebook, Netflix, UBS, MetLife, Amazon itself, right? Um, some of the biggest uh, names and companies out there, we help those office managers create company culture during the social aspects of employees getting to know one another. Um, historically, we had done that in person on the company headquarter grounds. So if you think about Google's campus in Mountain View, California, in Silicon Valley, legally that's non-premise, right? Getting back to what does Source really solve? We solve alcohol regulation inside of the three-tiered system. Um, Google's campus is not a bar or a liquor store. Uh, and so historically, we've delivered the alcohol and the rest of the cocktail experience to help companies um, entertain their employees and help their employees get to know one another. During the pandemic, we served over 330% more enterprise clients by delivering a virtual happy hour. So it's a real cocktail kit. All the employees of Apple or all the employees of that team in engineering of Google or all of the marketing department at Netflix gets the Kettle One Hibiscus Mule package. So we're all having a real cocktail. We're all having a shared experience, meaning it's the same cocktail. And then everyone joins on Zoom or on Google Hangouts or on Cisco WebEx, right? The video platform that fits for that company. Uh, and we have mixologists who are training and teaching on what is a mule, right? And where did it invent, get invented, right? The, the um, highly debated story of, was it really in West Hollywood at the Cock and Bull Bar in the 1940s, right? Um, and what is great about vodka, right? How do you make a syrup, right? We're, we're teaching people, why do we love fever tree, right? And we're teaching people the history of that cocktail. We're teaching people what the what we refer to as the trilogy, right? The balance of ethanol, sweetness, and acidity. And that balance and proportioning through a jigger, a bartender's measuring cup, is what allows you to make a cocktail and be a pro bartender at home. And we're teaching those teams over Zoom and allowing them to ask the mixologist question, playing cocktail trivia. Uh, and we're, we're doing that in a way that allows the office manager to still create company culture, because in America, Chris, we're going through a time period right now as we, we sort of hopefully stay post pandemic um, in an employer's world. We're going through a time period that is becoming known as the great resignation. So. Get, get this, Chris, this is mind-blowing. And when you talk about scary, right? If you're a business owner in the U.S., it, it's very scary, this next statement. Two-thirds, 66% of your employment force is considering quitting. Two-thirds of your people are like, yeah, I'm out. It's like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me, right? And, and here's the problem with that. Right? There are all these uh, sociological studies that have proven that to feel like a member of a tribe, right? for me to feel like I'm a part of a company, for me to feel like I'm a part of a friend group, for me to feel like I'm a part of a religious institution, whatever the group is, right, the tribe that I'm considering joining, I have to actually really know seven other members of that tribe. Until I really know seven people, I don't actually consider myself a member. So if I haven't actually made a personal connection with seven people inside of a company, then I don't consider myself a part of that company, which means when a recruiter on LinkedIn right, reaches out to me and says, for your same project manager job, 
I can get you paid $15,000 more. If I'm not a part of that tribe, I don't feel like I belong, right? I don't feel like that tribe has adopted me. I don't know seven other people in that company. I'm taking the $15,000 more because this is just a transactional relationship. So how does an office manager, how does she get her people to know seven other people when they all joined the company during the pandemic, meaning they've never met personally, right? And so we're helping companies do that by still creating the social aspects in a virtual world of introducing people over a cocktail. And it's what we refer to as source socials, a real cocktail happy hour, all done virtually. Brilliant. That is a crazy statistic, two thirds. Um, and you're right. I think a lot of it is just where people have been working from home. There's no, no real connection to the the people they work for, right? So it's, yeah, purely transactional. Totally. Yeah, at that point, you're like fifteen thousand dollars more to do the same shit I'm doing over Slack and Zoom. <laughs> Done, you know. Uh, and and that's really the challenge today. Um, I think around the world, but certainly in the U.S. economy, which is wow. How, and you know, to be fair, on the other side, the employee side, um, this was a scary, scary last couple of years. And so people's prioritization is changing. Right? So th- what they hold most dear has changed and has changed as direct result of the pandemic and their fear of the virus and their understanding. I- I've always said, and it's in large part, what Sourced uh, is really built around is this idea that time is your most valuable resource, not money. Because if you think about the origin story of Sourced, I built it because I was pissed that I wasted my time going to four stores and spending six hours to get the ingredients of a homemade margarita bar, and then actually spending the three hours of the Super Bowl when I should have been holding my most prized possession, my daughter, uh, I was holding a cocktail shaker. And what really irritated me was all the time spent doing that. And I was willing to pay more money. And I think what U.S. employees have determined is, wow, my time and how I invest is really, really important. And I'm going to go find a work environment um, that I feel like values my time, right? Whether values my time by the flexibility of allowing me to work and trusting me to work where I want to, uh, valuing my time in terms of what... um, you're compensating me, what you're paying me for, uh, valuing my time in terms of what's most important to me uh, in my personal life. And I think those things need to be acknowledged by employers. But at the end of the day, you have to remember if you haven't created an environment where people really know one another. And I, when, I, when I say really know, Chris, I don't mean just the engineering department has heard what the project manager wants to happen next. That's not knowing one another. That's knowing what our next business task is. But how do I really know you? How do I know that Tim has three kids? How do I know that his crazy girl is the most important thing? How do I know that he's so crazy about her? He took her to Paris, France because she asked him to take her (laughs) shopping, right? Like that's really knowing somebody. And if that person feels like they're known and they know others, a minimum of seven people, they will stay. They will not take the 15,000 extra dollars for the, because they'll feel like they're invested in. They'll feel like they're a part of, and that's really important. And alcohol for centuries around the world in almost every society plays a role in those social aspects of each human being getting to know one another. And, and the question for your audience out there is how does your business help that process in a virtual world? Because it's still really important as social creatures that we know one another. Totally, totally. Tim, it's been amazing to hear this story. Um, We're going to have to wrap up soon. I've got just maybe a few more questions um, if you're happy to answer. But I mean, it's, it's just so great. You sort of, you solved a problem and You've also supported the industry, the hospitality industry, where I feel a lot of tech companies neglect sometimes or they try to overshadow. Um, and also you're, you're just selling fun. You know, you're doing it in a great way where the quality is still high and people enjoying. And I don't know if you had the foresight at the time, but I guess the last two years 
have been you know perfect for your business <laughs> not for the world maybe so much but um this time where we do have to sort of uh, stay connected and be safe uh, and people are looking for jobs you sort of managed to solve all of that um for a great deal of people so uh, very admirable tim really well thank you it you know really really blessed um and you hit on something chris that i think is very very important and we talk about it every day at sourcecraft cocktails which is our north star is to be of service and what we're being of service around is we quite literally bring you joy we bring you fun that's our job our job is from your phone to your front door to bring you a good time and that's remarkable in this like complicated stressful depressing difficult politicized world that we all live in today it's really 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 an honor to be able to just bring you two hours of a good time right and and what we what we think about as a brand is we have to always remember that we're of service to being fun and if the cocktails we take it too seriously right and i'm not talking about taking the marketing plan too seriously or taking the operational capacity, the logistics side of our business too seriously. I'm talking about as a brand, as a voice, becoming too high and mighty and making it something more than what it's supposed to be, which is we bring you fun from your phone to door, right? That we will, we fail. If the alcohol can't be fun, you fail, right? Don't, mm -hmm. you can't sort of misinterpret your brand's place in the world. Uh, and that and that's a really also refreshing thing because with every other component of our lives so um, difficult uh, and sensitive and challenging, it's really nice to spend my professional side and thousands of people at Source Pen or professional side being like, nope, we're just the fun. That's what we are, and that's awesome. Uh, and so I'm I'm really grateful to have had a time a chance to visit with you and your audience and kind of share our story of Sourcecraft Cocktails talk. Hopefully it was educational um, around how the U.S. marketplace uh, operates, um, how big this market is, right? $254 billion, no matter what happens in the world, it will grow. Uh, talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and the three things you should consider if you're sitting on an idea, what are my next steps? Uh, and again, I can't emphasize enough that last one, like have a North Star. If all your people internally or your customers externally don't know what it is you stand for, you will be a part of that 95%. I don't care if you're Mensa smart, right? I don't care if you're the smartest person on this planet. If you can't communicate what the North Star is, the business will fail. Uh, and at Source, we're really grateful um, to have the opportunity to be of service, uh, both to the hospitality industry as our employees and independent contractors and to our customers, uh, both enterprise and B2C. Fantastic. Um, such a great way to end the show. Um, for the audience, please go check out in the show notes the link for sourcedcraftcocktails.com. Uh, you can find also the social channels there uh, about Tim and his amazing company. Um, Tim, last question to finish off. Um, what cocktails do you recommend for people to order? Maybe your your top three or your best one. <laughs> what do yeah. you normally drink? Oh, no. Wait, what? Great question. We're going to need a whole nother hour for this part, Chris. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, So I, you know, for me, I'm sort of a classics person. I, I love our gold rush. Um, mm. For me, that's sort of my, I like the homemade honey uh, in it. It kind of gives it a velvety mouthfeel. Um, I'm, I'm, I prefer bourbon. Uh, and so that's really has been my go-to. And that's when you look at sourcecraftcocktails.com, you'll see this really nice balance between very, you know, very classic cocktails, penicillin, a gold rush, an old fashioned, et cetera. And then a lot of new expressions. Um, you know, we're, we're blessed. We have uh, what we call the brand council. So we have 12 mixologists um, led by Jeremy Campbell um, that oversee kind of the, the creative development, uh, the taste profile of Sourced. And at any given day, we have 55 different cocktail kit expressions. And we're constantly balancing between um, kind of that those classics, 
um, and a new spin on um, a traditional uh, recipe build. Um, and, and for me right now, I, I'm, I'm sort of a traditionalist that way. I know that sounds probably funny to your viewers that have visited and, and listened in like, wow, you're a traditionalist who took a stick of dynamite to the entire three-tiered system and made a, a whole new business out of it. Like, yes, when drinking, very traditionalist. So Gold Rush would be my uh, suggestion if you're in one of our eight markets. Um, we'd love to be of service. So Chris, thank you so much for having me. Uh, and to your listeners out there, stay safe and always, always keep grinding. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. I uh, hope you really enjoyed it and found some incredibly useful information there. If you have a look in the show notes, you'll find all of the relevant links uh, to what we've discussed in this episode. And uh, yeah, please head over to my Facebook, Instagram, uh, give us a like, share, or maybe leave a comment in the iTunes or Spotify playlist. Uh, Spotify, no, you can't do that. But iTunes, you definitely can leave me uh, some feedback, which would be much appreciated. Uh, yeah, stay safe, guys, and I'll talk to you all next week.